Hi, I'm Paul Shrimp. And I'm Jeffrey Roach. Welcome to Microdosing, where we look at small specific things, such as a product, business, or person, that represents a bigger trend in healthcare. In this series, we'll be focused on the healthcare labor shortage, and I'm excited to team up with Jeffrey, who's a prominent leader when it comes to all things people in healthcare. Thanks, Paul. And some say it's not just a labor shortage, but also a healthcare labor crisis. In this series, we have a lot of wonderful conversations lined up that gets at exactly why this isn't just a labor issue, but rather a multi-dimensional one around employee experience, digitization of workflows, and new business models to make healthcare workers' lives better, healthcare companies more stable, and ultimately deliver better quality of care to all patients. We hope you enjoy. Hi, today we're joined by Heidi Chumley, Dean of the Ross University School of Medicine. Dr. Chumley, welcome. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. We always like just to take a quick pause up front to get the two or three minute version of uh, the individual speaking with. So we'd love to get the two to three minute version of Dr. Chumley. Okay. Yes, wonderful. Uh, Dr. Heidi Chumley, I'm a family physician by training. I went to school in a U.S. medical school, did my residency, same place, San Antonio, and then did an academic fellowship there at Well, decided on a career in academic medicine, spent two years on the leadership team at University of Kansas School of Medicine before I was recruited out to the International Medical School space, first at American University of the Caribbean School of Medicine, and then most recently moving over to Ross University School of Medicine. And and important note on that, both AUC and Ross Med are owned by the same parent company, um, AdTalum Global uh, Education, which has five five different universities. In addition to the two medical schools, there's a vet school, there's Chamberlain School of Nursing, there's Walden University, um, five universities that really share a mission or a vision to increase access to healthcare professions education. So that's, that is me and where I am in my company in a nutshell. That's awesome. And, and uh, what's, what's the right phrase here is you're one of the leading placers in residency or there a big chunk of residents come from your programs. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. Ross Med and AUC both have been around for over 40 years now. Um, Ross Med over 15,000 graduates. 500 between the two schools into residency programs in the U.S. every year. So certainly a major supplier of the U.S. healthcare physician workforce. Yeah, I always like to plug that because I don't think people understand the the scale and the impact uh, you all play in, in the physicians that we often see in primary care and elsewhere. Um, and then would love to kind of just as we step into the conversation, get your perspective as we think about the healthcare worker shortage, the clinician shortage, I'm assuming you're going to have a, a deep perspective really on the physician shortage, but how do we get to this pinch point that we're at today? Yep. We've been at this point for a long time, right? I think uh, as long as I can remember being in, in academic medicine, which goes back a while now, we've been talking about the physician workforce. And I think it's have it's held several flavors to it, but certainly in addition to just being a shortage of, of raw numbers, there has been a maldistribution of, of physicians. So certainly from my time in Kansas and a, a deep understanding of the issues faced by rural Americans and also more critical shortages around primary care physicians. And then as we began, you know, I think understanding as the, the, the evidence began to show us 
the importance of a physician workforce that really reflected the diversity of the population in the U.S. We began to understand that as well, that in addition to a maldistribution and a shortage of primary care physicians, that we also really lack diversity in the physician workforce. So how did we get here, I think was your original question. And I think one of the ways you get to a place is by continuing to try to apply the same solutions to different problems as they emerge. So creating a system for deciding who gets to be a physician or who goes to medical school that was just created really a long, long time ago, and then not evolving that system to really be one that creates the type of work that you need would be my sense about how we got here. Yeah, I would say I... I've always appreciated the the innovative lens you've all brought to um, providing access uh, to the next generation of physicians. Because I think to your point, we're seeing lots of layers of entrenched ways of how we ran things that go back decades. And it's interesting because you think about becoming a physician today, it's very linear. It's very rigid in terms of the traditional process. You kind of have to lock into it when you're 14 or 15 in high school. So you get the right pre-med program. So you get ranked to get the medical school. And if you just veer off just a little bit at any time, all of a sudden the chances of getting into the right medical school goes down dramatically. Whereas when you look at the mix of uh, much of the population that you address, where you've got, you know, EMTs that have been in the clinical workforce for a while that want to become physicians or these people that are proven contributors in the healthcare labor workforce wanting to become physicians, those paths are kind of interestingly not as accessible and would love to get your thoughts in terms of how you are, are viewing and framing the solution here that might be uh, eye-opening to some. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it, <laughs> 14 might be a, even a little late to start if you really, if you're really thinking about being a physician. And in addition to to knowing that you've got to have the right types of opportunities around you and the right networks and connections. And not everybody has that same level of opportunity, particularly not at age 14 or when we're people are really beginning to think about their careers. People don't have the right, the same set of role models or all of that sort of goes into it. So to circle back to what you have mentioned, there are many people that go into a different healthcare career or a different pathway because they haven't seen that they haven't seen physicians who look like them, who came from places like them, who've had the same challenges to overcome that 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 they have. And so one really important thing I think that schools like Ross Med do are take a look at non-traditional students. There's incredible value to having been an EMT, for example. There's incredible value to have serving in the healthcare system in a different, in a different way. Um, and when you have capacity to train people like we do, you can really look at uh, everyone who's qualified. Dr. Chumley, I'm curious, obviously, you're also the chair of the entire academic council of Ad Talum. When you look at this crisis through the lens of also being the chair of the academic council, where you have an opportunity to see nursing programs through Chamberlain, obviously programs through Walden, in addition to, to Ross Med, et cetera. What do you think we're missing? What are the questions? What are the approaches that we haven't really considered from a solution end within industry, but also within academia? Yeah, so great question. And I've got a number of things I'd like to 
to share with you on that. I'm going to correct one thing, and that is that I rotated off as chair of Ad Talent's academic council, probably between the time we set up this interview and now I had a role I had done for six or seven years, I believe. So, but wanted to share my answer from that perspective uh, as well. So as I mentioned in the beginning, the one of the things all of the institutions within the Ad Talent family share is the ideas around access to education and opportunity. One of the other things that, that we all share is that an understanding that just providing opportunity is not really enough. <laughs> And that, and that there are reasons that people arrive at medical school or at nursing school or into a social work program or to a vet school. There are reasons that they arrive there with a different level of preparation than you would see at perhaps your, your traditional U.S. school. And the reasons that led people to arriving with a different level of preparation don't automatically go away when you're accepted to medical school. They are still there. If you grew up experiencing systemic racism, that just doesn't leave when you get accepted to medical school. If you grew up in an educationally disadvantaged setting or at a, a poverty level, those things follow you and come with you. So one of the things that we have gotten good at and in sharing best practices with each other is really understanding what are all those things that that you need to address in order to close to close those gaps chamberlain school of nursing for example they have a framework that they use called social determinants of learning very similar to social determinants of health right the same things that affect people's health affect people's learning and being able to have a framework to, to work within that, very helpful. Similarly, Walden University has their inclusive teaching and learning. They've done a lot of work really in the online space to understand what it is that is keeping people from engaging in ways that, that they need to engage. And I would say from the medical perspective, what we have long since believed is that there's an incredible importance to confidence and belonging. There is part of the gap that people face when they particularly come to medical school is wondering if they can actually really make it, particularly if they haven't been accepted to a U.S. school. So the confidence that we can give them that they do belong in, in the profession and the belonging, the sense of belonging that we can help build for them through faculty who look like them, through student interest groups where there are a number of places they can feel that they belong. I think those things are really, really important and things that things that we've learned from each other across the Ad Talent schools. Yeah, I think it's almost anti-inclusion in healthcare sometimes. I come from a very prideful family of DOs, but the amount of time I hear this kind of chip on the shoulders, well, DOs are just MDs that couldn't be MDs, or I'll hear it in like hospital operations. Well, I'm an ER nurse and you're a med surge nurse. Like the, the caste system in healthcare is so palpable and it's almost breeds a little bit of anti-inclusion, but we'd love to get kind of your thoughts on how that is. And then the importance of how you all are chipping away with that social determinants of, of learning perspective. Yeah. What a great, and certainly as a family physician, you know, you get that too. So there's a, there's the cast of, of the hierarchy of, of where primary care, even though as critical it is, it is to a healthcare system, sometimes the sense of where it sits in the 
hierarchy is an interesting one. So that's really, it's really tough. It is really tough to chip away at that. I would go back to the sense of how valuable it can be to really, really expand people's view, right? Expand people's worldview. So, so one of the things I think that's just remarkable about studying at a school, um, Ross Med or, or like AUC, is that you're going to you're going to come and you're going to be with people who will stretch your imagination about who should go to medical school, right? Whether it's because of their age, they've had another career first, or a country that they grew up in, or the opportunities that they've had in the U.S. and creating around yourself a network of people who are incredibly diverse in almost every fashion. I think it really gives you basis of when you go into the U.S. healthcare system, it gives you a view to, to really see and spot, I guess, those stereotypes and things that you may have missed if you hadn't been pulled outside of your comfort zone. Dr. Jean-Liet, when we talk about that, you've been at really transformational institutions, but it's also required you to be really agile to respond to, to the changing field of, of medicine. When we look at where we are in 2023, if you could go to earlier 2000s, 10 years or more, what do you think you would have changed to put us on a better place in this workforce crisis? I think if I could change anything, I, I would, I would kind of gets back to the need to address the problem with a different. So, so my view of the U.S. allopathic medical education system when I left was that it was not a sustainable business model, if you will. It was a time when dollars were drying up. It was a time when there were furloughs at state university and we were seeing that. And so, so two of the legs of funding for U.S. allopathic medicine had, had been going, been diminishing and the clinical revenue was beginning to drive the funding of everything, including education. And if you think about if you think about that leads you down a path of, of more specialization, for example, because that's what that that's what generates more money. But the point I think is what I would change is that would have been a good time, I think, to really think about a different business model. And there is a sense in U.S. medical education that it's a very bad thing for education to be funded by wholly by student tuition. You want to want diversified funds. You want large endowments. Well, you know, they, they go to prestigious schools. You want research dollars. They were drying up state funds, drying up and taking a philosophy of, okay, that's not a bad thing. The idea that medical schools could be funded by tuition is a good thing. It's a good business model. And now we really need to think of as a society who pays the student's tuition. Right. And flipping that in that way, I think would have given, it's not too late, by the way, but it would have given a different trajectory to, to where we went uh, really with medical education. Um, you know, I'm thinking about, to your exact point, and maybe you've already alluded to it, but I want to give you an opportunity to share. For everyone that's listening to this, what one action would you recommend that they take? Yeah. You know, I think the first thing that has to happen is you've got to break the mindset that has kept you where you're at. So if, if I could ask people to do one thing, it would be to admit, to realize the way we have addressed or attacked medical education in the US, the way that we funded it, the way that we've thought about it has led us to the very place we are. 
with not enough physicians, not enough diversity in our physician workforce, and that we've got to do it differently. And to, to, to my ask would be include at the table, at the discussions, people who have been doing it differently, who have a lot to offer to how you actually do that. How do you take and work with students that have had less opportunity, who have bigger gaps, who are different than you typically see at the beginning um, of medical school? How are you successful in that way? And how do you build a business model that's sustainable? Gotcha. And then as just carrying that thought forward, where do you think we're going to see more success or what does say 2033 look like to us? Oh man, I would like to say, I think we would have success. We've really been going in this direction for a long period of time. In 33, 10 years from now, I think we'll see some very mild gains in diversity. And the reason I would say that is that I think we're seeing improvements throughout the U.S. society in closing the gaps, particularly working early on. And by gaps, I definitely don't mean gaps in intelligence, gaps in opportunity, right? And so, so closing, those, closing those gaps and getting more people from diverse backgrounds ready for medical schools, and then the medical schools will take them. If I was being a realist, I would say that's where we are in 10 years from now with some very minimal, if anything, changes where we could be, if you want me to be optimistic, I think we could solve a problem that workforce diversity or physician diversity, which people are saying isn't going to be solved for a hundred years. I think we could solve it. I think we could really solve it in 10 years. We'd have to, we'd have to decide there's not a fixed capacity to train people. We'd have to decide that, that this isn't me or you who gets to go to medical school. It's, that there is capacity to train students, capacity for them to be in the resident workforce capacity. There's certainly capacity for people to work and get out of this mindset of one student better than another and take every student that has the ability and educate them and get us to the place that we need to be. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's there's so much systemic bias in, in any system. And even if I look at my own world where we used to pride ourselves going, well, we recruit from the top MBA programs until somebody comes along going, you know, you're inheriting the biases of those MBA programs. If that's your primary feeding source. Oh, so if we want to diversify our employee base, we actually have to go to different sets of like we call plumbing to bring those people into our industry. And the same obviously holds true for for healthcare because we look at leading medical institutions and their recruiting processes. It's not intentional, but a lot of systemic bias is in there that you have to rethink your funnel for students. And it's great seeing your organizations take the lead on tapping into that because it's it requires different thinking from the get go. Well, yes, wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, well, Dr. Chomi, thank you so much for just taking a few minutes. I know we only scratched the surface on this topic, uh, but it was great to get your perspectives and where you're seeing things, where uh, Ross University School of Medicine and its sister and brother organizations are seeing the opportunities. Uh, but thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Microdosing. If you'd like more content like this, go to our website at md-pod.com and that will triage you to all the common podcast platforms and social media pages to follow us until next time cheers